Hello, I'm Anna Serene and you're listening to Berlinale's House of Talents. I wouldn't say we write as a cinematographer, but we surely translate. I think my role is of a translator in some way. I feel like your way of looking at things are a bit more abstract and very intuitive. So coming up with words for these concepts was an interesting exercise. The director, the DOP and the set design, they were kind of working together. They were always selling every kind of little crazy idea. They would love to use that. Because you are not doing this work alone, you really share the work and the result with your crew. At Berlinale Talents, we like to take the time to understand the how and why of filmmaking. In this episode, we take a closer look at the different stations involved in the making of a movie. Cinematographers, screenwriters and production designers pitch in as we travel through the Berlinale Talents archive to understand what is at stake in each of their practices. You'll hear how each department carries a director's vision to the big screen, but more importantly, the pros we talk to are clear on one aspect of filmmaking, the virtue of collaboration. We begin with a chat between director Josephine Decker and cinematographer Sterla Brandt-Grovlin in conversation with Verena von Stackelberg at Berlinale Talents 2020. The pair take us back to the time of their collaboration on Shirley, starring Talents alumna Elizabeth Moss, about the torture genius of American novelist Shirley Jackson. With different priorities in mind, Josephine and Sterla discuss their need to challenge each other in order to create the atmosphere of the film, including what they described as a smush handheld camera concept. I would really like to start with how you both associated with her as a character and why it was such an interesting project for both of you. Sterla is an incredible collaborator and we had so much fun preparing for and shooting this film and I think partly that was because we were uh, uh, we made it really hard for ourselves, <laughs> so we were constantly having to figure things out again and again on set. Um, and uh, and I think one of the things that was exciting about the script and about Shirley as a character, um, so the film is really a uh, it's kind of about a young woman's point of view on Shirley. You enter the film through a through a different character. You you. Um, this young woman who's coming to live with Shirley. And then, and then over the course of the film, you get inside of Shirley's mind. And when I read the script, I remember thinking, that's hard. It's hard to enter the film with one character and then go into the subjective experience of a different character. The who, you know, you, we spend the first 30 minutes of the movie with Shirley as very much someone that we're seeing from the outside. And so that was going to be a challenge from... But it's, that's the kind of thing I think that makes a project worth doing is when a script really works and it's like great start to finish and it reads like a good short story, it's almost boring to make that movie because you're like, well, I can already see it in my head. What would I do? But I think that the the problem of that was something that was exciting to me about the film. And also these two female main characters were very complex, very strange and manipulative of each, of each other and the men that they're with. And so... Um, uh, it, there was a lot to, to dig into in terms of how do you represent their subconscious and their, the way that they're seeing each other and, and their world around them. Um, there's another aspect to the film, which is Shirley is a writer, and there's her process of writing is, is inside the movie, so at times you go into sort of seeing what she's imagining in her writing. So it meant that there were many layers of reality. There was like the point of view of one young, uh, the young woman entering the film. There was Shirley's perspective. Then there was the the way that she the the 
the kind of fantasy fiction that Shirley's creating. Um, and then we also thought of the film as like a, that there was a perspective, like an omniscient perspective, almost the perspective of the house, we called it, um, that sort of held the way of seeing all of the characters. Um, but it meant that as we were collaborating, we, uh, we, we like, we got, we got mired in how are we going to shoot, we have to shoot, we wanted to shoot all these things differently, um, but it was quite a journey of figuring out that, so it's just exciting to be here to talk to you about it a little bit. Do you want to add something? Um, uh, yeah, just maybe add that um, uh, the, the different kind of concepts we came up with uh, it kind of accumulated, <laughs> and it became bigger and bigger, and, and, and I feel like your, you know, your way of looking at things are a bit more abstract and kind of very, yeah, very intuitive. Uh, so coming up with words for these concepts was an interesting exercise. Uh, I think we had smush and float, and uh, there's yeah, and um, and I just I just before the talk I. I read through my, like, our old sort of email correspondence in the beginning of our collaboration. And there was, like, this one sentence that I highlighted was, was that I, uh, where you written to me, like, if we can make this film feel like you're being smushed between Shirley Jackson's breasts, that would be amazing. <laughs> and I, and I, <laughs> yeah, and I think that also, um, those kind of uh, sentences was handed to me often, you know, uh, which made it very interesting to work uh, visually on this film. Um, had you met in person at that stage, or was it just... Uh, only via Skype, okay. yeah. Shirley had shot a beautiful movie in Iceland. What is the name of that film? Heartstone. Yes. And that, I really, it's such a gorgeous film. I... I really recommend seeing it. And I was like, this man is amazing. And it feels very, in the moment, it's very, it's mostly hand, it's all handheld, I think. Um, and uh, so I really hired him because I was like in love with the way this film looked. Then I found out they had four months of prep. He had like four months of prep for this movie that just looks like they showed up. I mean, it doesn't look like they just showed up and shot it because it's gorgeous. And it's like, how did they do that? But, um, but I thought that was so exciting because usually films in the, the States, films that are handheld are often... the you're, partly they're handheld, sometimes it's the look, but often it's because, oh, we have a week of prep and nobody can afford a dolly, you know what I mean? And, and uh, I think there was something so exciting about the idea of preparing really, really deeply to shoot something in an intimate way that was about preparation, not just of the technical world, but of the emotional conversation between the camera and the actors. And so that was, I think there was something really exciting about working with Sterlip too, because that it was clear that that was a big part of his approach as a DP was not just a technical approach, but a conversation and intimacy with the performances that, that was something that he was interested in developing over time and making sure that um, the rehearsal isn't just technical, it's about trust with the actors. True, and, uh, and it's, uh, I remember first day of shooting with Elizabeth Moss uh, which, you know, a big movie star and, and can be a little bit in, intimidating and, and, you know, our kind of handheld smush concepts or whatever it was called was like uh, also uh, meaning that the camera had a will of its own. Uh, so not just focusing on the actors and, but also, you know, kind of, you know, 
going intuitively and looking at some hands doing something or over to the fireplace or something. And, uh, and I don't think we had informed Lizzie uh, well enough about this concept. And I remember she probably came over to you and said, um, he should really not you know, go away from my close-up when I'm delivering my lines. Uh, but then we kind of, you know, we had to, you know, that kind of broke the ice and we had to, uh, and we started, you know, collaborating and I think she understood more what we wanted to do after yeah. that. But it's such a very important thing that, yeah, that the, the collaboration with, with me as, uh, with holding the camera and being inches from the actors, that there's a trust there and, uh, and that there's, there's a little dance. Yeah, yeah, that was, I remember the conversation that I did have with Lizzie of, you know, she was like, I'm doing all this work, and, and then I look over and he's filming the, you know, the oven. <laughs> and it was, and it was very, and it was very sweet, and, but also, I think by that, I think it was actually a few days into the shoot, and then we had a conversation around how the, there was a way that I like to work with the actors of inviting them to really express their free will, and we would do a lot of the blocking the, the, in the mornings, everyone, all the crew would get mad at me, except for Sterla, because I would take too long to block with the actors. We didn't have much rehearsal ahead of the shoot, which I think in Europe, vaguely, I understand that you guys get to prep your movies. In America, no, but there is no prep. <laughs> There's like, especially not with actors, especially famous actors. Um, and so uh, we were kind of launched into the film, and we didn't, we had a lot of the, it's a very dialogue-driven movie. Dialogue can be so you know, it can be very boring to watch. And I didn't want that. I wanted dialogue that moved, that was kind of a dance. And um, I think with Scorsese has some great line about that, you know, dialogue is music. Um, And so we we were looking at, um, you know, I I really wanted the actors to motivate movement and to not just, if it's a dialogue scene, not just sit people down and shoot close up, close up, but let the dialogue move around the room and, you know, express different things with, you know, when are the characters close together? When are they far apart? Um, how does that change over the course of the scene? And, um, but that takes time. It actually, it's really, it's hard to develop a blocking that feels intuitive that goes, so every morning I would take way too long rehearsing the scenes and, and I would really invite the actors to build the blocking. You know, we would try different things the first few times. It's sort of like, let them do what feels natural. Then it's sort of like, okay, you seem too close in this section. Maybe we need to like spread you out across the room. What can motivate you to cross? And so we were doing a lot of that kind of exploration and, um, so I gave them a lot of free reign in a way to, to follow their instincts. And I remember that conversation with Lizzie was really like the way that we had been working together with her performance was like, you know, to, to allow her to really follow her instincts. And I remember saying like, you're doing such great work. And if I tie Sterla to your face, he doesn't get to follow his instincts the way that, you know, um, the movie, this movie kind of wants to be about instinct. And so, um, I was just like, I have to let, set him free so that, he, that his performance can be as good as yours. And if, and if his performance isn't as good as yours, then we're not going to use the take, even if your take is the best. You know? So it was kind of about, there's a performance in the camera as well. And so I had to kind of like get her comfortable with the fact that we were going to unleash Sterla a little bit to shoot you know, t- the tile floor sometimes. <laughs> so, Yeah. As the smush indicates, collaboration often means finding a common language within the language of film. But what place do words have in such a visual medium? 
Words have a big role to play in movie making, from funding applications meant to convince to the essential script, a bible each department will have to refer to at one point or another. In their 2021 Berlinale competition entry, Memory Books, Joanna Haji-Thomas and Khalil Jorage draw on an archive of personal photographs, diaries and audio recordings made in 1980s Beirut. The film this archive grew into is a narrative feature that tells the story of two generations of mothers and daughters. Joanna, her cinematographer José de E, and script consultant Franz Rodenkirchen join moderator Vincenzo Bugno to discuss whether turning a static block of text into moving images is actually possible. Otherwise put, can we write cinema? José, um, maybe a strange question, but um, do you think that you write with the camera? And how is the relation of a DOP uh, with a script? Is it ambivalent or how would you describe it? I wouldn't say we write as a um, cinematographer, but we surely translate. I think my role is of a tr- uh, translator in, in, in some way. We have a script. It's written in English, in French, whatever. And we have to translate it in another language, which is the cinematographer language. So grapher writing cinema is photography and movement so so it's a strange process but a script at a script at the end we know it's not going to be a finality the script is a tool so we have to take it and and transform it uh, Joseph, particularly in your case i think um What is uh, very important, what is difficult to understand if you read the script, is the relation with time and space, I think, which is uh, sometimes uh, I miss something if I read the script because I don't know, understand. Oh, what about the time? What about the space? And also France uh, wrote a lot about this. So what about time and space as, as a cinematographer, particularly considering that you have to translate the script in your own language? Well, I think those are the... The, the, the base, the, the basic uh, foundation of, of cinema, that's the art of cinema. It's to play with time and space, right? We do the first part, I would say, and then goes to the editing, which is another part of the, of, of the writing. Yes. Uh, maybe, so we are already talking about this, Joanna. Uh, uh, so what about script, director, material, editing so and what about the relation of an editor with a script so would you say they are strong enemies oh no not (laughs) at all i have uh, the same editor we've been working uh, with tina bass uh, from our first short film she uh, she was here for all our films even the artistic videos so she knows uh, very, very well our work. So when we arrive at the editing room, she already has like a very clear idea of what we want to do. And uh, it's really a moment in the editing room when we totally rewrite the film, even if it's a fiction. Of course, with documentary, we, we, we are used to it. But with the film, because, uh, because our way of working, as I was saying, we don't, we're not giving the script to actors. So there are a pie, part of improvisation, part of things that doesn't really work. So you have to rewrite it and to see what you can do. And in this film in particular, because there was a lot of uh, this very strange things of filming notebooks and uh, 
and writings that we worked a lot with Jose on this idea. And uh, so it was really very important for us to rewrite. So in the editing room, it's like a mini studio for us. We record, we take pictures, uh, we, we film something that we would film after again, uh, uh, if the idea is good. And we, we, we break this film, we break the script all the time. And so it takes a lot of time because of this uh, doubting a lot what we are doing. For many years, Khalil and me, we worked as artists on latent images and uh, this kind of thing. So things that we would uh, take in photo without developing. Here it would see that it was a, a kind of reverse, how we develop a, a kind of imaginary, a kind of imagination of Alex. Uh, and, uh, and so the idea it was that you would go from a, a picture, because there's a lot of uh, photo in the film, photos that Khalil took and some that we made for the film. And, uh, and so from this photo, she, when she goes out, uh, when the scene continues without uh, uh, references, we would go in the black and then they would come back because there's a kind of orchant, you know, of the, of the, of the film and of the, of the memory. And uh, this was uh, the first vision that we had in mind. Uh, it was this one, and with Jose, we worked on this idea that this vision, we, we, for, to do the, the girls going out on the black, we, would, we, we, did, we put black uh, tissues on, uh, on part of the decor, so, so, so people would, would go, actress would go inside the blackness and come back, because it's a blackness of memory. So uh, we can say somehow that uh, the biggest part of the script was already written. Because, I mean, your diaries uh, and, 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 and the letters, uh, I think uh, uh, you had already in mind many, many moments of the film. And if you, understood, uh, if you understand well, you, you worked together more or less also during probably the writing on the script. Because otherwise, it would have been so it would be, have been very difficult to find the right language for this film. So maybe, José, can you do, say something about this, about your work together and developing uh, 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 the visual language of this film? Well, I think, first of all, Halil and Joanna wrote a lot together. And, and Halil, who's a photographer, did a lot of research and, and, and photos. It was a, a huge amount of work before I even got into the project. And then we started as a trio to, to work together. It's, it, was, it was a bit strange at the beginning because, of course, those visions were put on words, but how can we film it? And, and not only how can we film it, but how can we uh, concretely um, make it happening? Joanna was talking about blacks, but when we talk blacks, we, we, we would cover whole buildings in the city to... Um, but it was still art. What I what I really love about Joanne and, and Halil work is that it's we call it bricolage. It's arts and craft. Um, it's very arts and craft, and 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 we love it. I mean, we it's uh, we don't use a lot of technique. It's not it's not um, it's not very imponent, but it's it's in the details. Every details. Uh, that we worked on on the, the notebooks and the and the writing and it was very precise even though it was um, it was a work in progress in terms of uh, of artistic uh, vision. 
Um, thank you very much, Jose, because uh, you, have, um, you have suggested now a wonderful title for the next panel about this film, which is, let's call it Bricolage. I think it works, it works well. And uh, now I have a question for Franz. Uh, first, I'm, if you understood, you have watched the film, I think. And so what about writing a script for a film like this? So I'll, I think it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, could be a challenge. And, uh, but I would, I would like also to talk a little bit German with you now. I mean, it's only about two words, which are, I think very interesting in order to understand how also this, this, uh, this kind of script. So you should explain, if possible, the difference between Erlebnis and Erfahrung. Of course, I don't know uh, about... Uh Joanna's and Khalil's experience in writing the script. I, I thought, especially, you know, in the, the clip we just saw now, um, that clearly there is an idea to convey something that comes from, let's say, an, an emotion and an idea that is not necessarily primarily narrative, but more uh, emotional, sensual, whatever you want to call it. And every time uh, you are trying to do something like this, especially as... I think every viewer will know something about the connection between what the film tries to convey and Joanna's uh, real-life experience from the past. There is this assumption that there is an element that may be beyond story. And how do you convey that? Which is maybe predominantly the emotion of not only um, how it was back then, but possibly also how it is now to go back into that memory, into the memory box. Speaking German, yes. Um, I think it's attributed to Walter Benjamin, uh, who wrote this uh, great essay, The Storyteller. But uh, even if it's not, um, the German language can make a difference between two things that the English would translate as experience, both of them. Um, and there is one, the Erfahrung. Erfahrung means it's the kind of experience that can be narrated. It can be conveyed with words without losing important aspects of the information. For example, I put my hand into an open fire. It hurts. I burn myself. Um, I'm not going to do that again, maybe. Um, but I can convey this thing to someone who has not been with me and who is not even in front of any fire. I can say, look, don't put your hand into an open fire because it hurts. You will burn yourself. It's not nice. It's information that I can convey. Now, a lateness is something else, because erlebnis is that which happens in the moment when I put my hand into the fire, and it's my sensation in that moment. And that sensation is very hard to convey with words, because words are already a translation into, let's say, the wrong medium. Um, how can I try to convey this sensation that is essentially an erlebnis, which the English also call experience, um, through writing? And I do feel that there are quite a lot of filmmakers who are more interested in conveying what I would call erlebnis as experience, meaning the immediate relationship you build to the images on the screen as it happens. Conveying emotions, conveying something that is beyond storytelling and therefore a bit further away from being translated into words. If you're lucky, the Erlebnis of life on set is one of intense emulation. 
At Berlinale Talents 2018, seasoned cinematographers Agnès Godard from France and Nancy Schreiber from the US shared what collaboration means to them in a conversation with Vinka Wiedermann. Beyond choosing the right lens or deciding on lighting conditions, the role of the cinematographer, as they conceive it, is one of leading a crew. This, fundamentally, means learning from others. I read somewhere that you said that uh, one of the things that surprised you about becoming a cinematographer was that uh, part of it was di- so different from what you had thought. You had thought it would all be about being an artist and you realized how much it takes also m- managing skills and you need to the authority becoming, I mean, a head of department and controlling. I mean, this must have taken, I mean... It really it takes a woman to uh, to be controlling that uh, amount of extras and I don't know. So, how did you did you ever did you ever go to any managing courses or how did you do it? How do you do it? No, I you know if you, I mean I came up in the system, so I was an electrician and a gaffer, and so I mean I really understood crew and. Um, so I, I don't know if that's part of it, but, you know, with cinematographers, if it's a dr- large dramatic production, we run three departments, camera, grip, and electric. Um, and, you know, it's really interesting. If you're respected and you show that you know what you're doing, you won't have a problem, generally. Uh, and hopefully your crew hand-picked often, uh, respects you and wants to partner with you. And uh, uh, But it's also being on time and on budget that we, we work with our crew that are our contemporaries, and then we have to answer to the powers that be with the money and the schedule. And uh, when I started... Um, like, for example, Chain of Desire, the Argentinian director, I think we had 30 days, and now I'm shooting films in 18 days. You know, there's just no time. And the schedules are crazy. And um, I'm shooting the page count. I mean, that to me, I feel like in Europe, you still have a respect for filmmaking, independent filmmaking, and you know, you're given enough time. At least this is my opinion. I don't know if that's true, but, you know, it's... Uh, it shrinks. Okay. Well, and, you know, I have to say that so much of the work now in the U.S. is television. And because I am able to shoot such high page count, I can work in television. They know I can do it. I mean, that's, we all go back and forth now. But it's a sad state of affairs with independent cinema because uh, the middle, Budget, range of budgets aren't being made anymore. They're tiny, tiny. And I'm doing the tiniest budgets again. Uh, but since I love directors' visions, I will still shoot them and I'll make it work in 15 days or 17 days, whatever. It's crazy. And, you know, they're all the same amount of time. I mean, that's what's also interesting about the Hollywood system and how hard it's been for women directors, for women cinematographers. One would think that if you have 60 days or longer and lots of money, 
why should that be harder? Why should you be cut out of that world when you're making 16 or 17 day films that under a million dollars? You know, it just never made sense. But anyway, hopefully it's changing. So, Agnes, what is. So this is about being a head of a team and head of a department and like Nancy talks about, how did you experience it and did it develop over years? I mean, having the authority, all the things you have to do with being in command. How, how was it for you? How natural was it for you and did it develop? No, but in fact, I, I was uh, like you, Nancy. I, I, I wanted to, to be director of photography, I did not even know the, the name. But um, I, I had no idea that you, that means you have a crew, you have to um, govern a crew somehow. And, uh, and, uh, but I discovered that's a very uh, important part and, uh, and um, because you are not doing this work alone, you really share the work and the result with your crew. And uh, especially for me, then what one person who's very excessively important is the gaffer. And uh, as a matter of fact, I remember I asked once Henri Alcourt to be in his electric department in one film and he said, no, no. <laughs> but uh, it's, um, it's excessively important. And, uh, and it's, it's true that it's where you learn how to organize your work, how to find ideas, how to share ideas, advices, how it's an emulation too, uh, how it's so important to, 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 to be confident in people around you and how it helps you also to be free, to be near the director to be, uh, you know, you know that people are working, understood what you wanted, what you were searching. They would even search for you. That's so precious. And then you could keep on uh, hearing the director telling uh, what he says. Sometimes it's difficult to say exactly what you want. So you have to guess, so you have to spend time. So uh, at least when they say what they don't want, <laughs> it's, it's a door open and then you can propose and then you go and see your crew. It's, uh, and that's where you learn what is collaboration. And collaboration is the most important word on the set and on making movies. That's what I think. If cinematographers are cinematic explorers of space, then production designers are its psychologists. In their hands, the interior of a house becomes that of a character. Set designs are also key to deciding on camera movements and can go so far as to influence an actor's performance. One of the most celebrated artists in the field is Uli Hanisch, whose latest production design for the Netflix series The Queen's Gambit has won him many plaudits. For the series about a young woman who takes on the world of chess, Uli designed countless sets, seemingly staged in Las Vegas, Moscow and Paris, but which were in fact all located in Berlin. 
In this last excerpt, moderated by Andrew Admondson, the King of Design draws us into the world of the Queen's Gambit. Uli talks about the kinds of decisions that satisfy directors, researching glossy magazine pictures, and the claustrophobic effects of wallpaper. Can we talk about her bedroom as the the center or the, the, the central valve of the heart, which is the, the house, Wheatley? Um, what did you want to do for... What does this room mean to the character? What, is it, what did you want to do in here with... Well, I think in, it's kind of embedded, of course, in the house. Um, and I think... It's the, 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 the funny part, I mean, the, the strangeness of the whole thing starts the moment she enters the house anyway for the mm -hmm. first time. She has never seen such a thing before, right? Coming straight from that trailer, then in the orphanage, there was no personal belongings in a way, no, no uh, private room, no privacy, sorry. Mm -hmm. And now she is, she's entering this strange, fake house because the whole house is kind of, has this kind of fake atmosphere. Because Mrs. Wheatley is also, she's not happy in her life. The whole marriage doesn't work. Mm -hmm. she, he's always gone. So she's doing what society does, especially did in that decade. You have to build up a facade. Like mm -hmm. everything is, you know, supposed to be perfect and right, but it somehow doesn't really work. It's kind of, it's kind of shallow and there's nothing behind it. So that's, I think, what happens first. Um, and then, um, but still for her, for, for Beth, it's super strange. Um, she has no idea. Uh, what this is all about, of course, as we have, as the, as the audience, saying, what's, what's happening here? Um, and the moment she's entering um, her own room, I think it's, it's, uh, it's kind of terrible and, and fantastic at the same time. So that mm -hmm. was the idea to, uh, of the design of, of the room. Is obviously, Mrs. Wheatley dressed the room for the, for the girl she wanted to adopt. Mm -hmm. Now, I think all of a sudden, the, the girl maybe became a bit older than expected mm. and a bit more spe special than expected. Mm -hmm. So the whole the room is like a girl nightmare pinkish kind of, you know, period style room. And it doesn't fit her at all. At the same time, um, she's, she's overwhelmed because it's so great. She has, a, has a, her own place for the first time in her life. So it's like a life-changing little moment. And we want to have this bizarre... Um, a marshmallow kind of uh, um, colored sensation for her with her red hair entering and nothing really matches, but still it's kind of great. Mm. And there's, there's just a little bit after or into this scene a little bit more. The, this is the Time Life reporter asking her questions and she brings up this uh, uh, disorder called apophenia. Yeah. Uh, about the, the people who find meaning in the patterns. And I thought this was, you know, with with all the patterns that you're working with, did you have these discussions about the patterns? Did it get that deep into... Yeah, I mean, uh, working with wallpapers, I mean, the wallpapers of this film has been, have been discussed like worldwide, which yeah. is like, <laughs> totally a sensational thing in a way. The ambassador and, of wallpaper. <laughs> yeah, however, it's, it's really funny. And if you look at the, those four images, it's kind of, it is kind of overwhelming, isn't it? Uh, if you see it all together. And, um, of course, working with wallpapers is, 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 is a very strong element, um, even, um, much more than just using colors, obviously, because um, um, you cannot... I mean, every pattern also tells a story in a way, mm -hmm. so you cannot really avoid every screaming blossom or flower uh, uh, design uh, at you without saying something. So, yeah. in a way, um, the, the easiest decision for her for bathroom was this kind of uh, checkerboard. Yeah. 
in, and many people were asking if we would if we would have thought of of the chessboard mm -hmm. design already, and I have to admit I, that I didn't. Mm. It was rather for me this is rather something like a cage design than 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 I was thinking about a chessboard really at that, mm. at that at that moment. But if you also if you look at the at the flowers in the in the master bedroom mm. above. Of, of the of of the Wheatley mm -hmm. couple, mm -hmm. um, which is also, it's kind of, I don't know, how do you say that? It's like stretch strangling you, isn't yeah. it? If yeah. You can't hardly breathe in that kind of room. It's just yeah. too much. Yeah. And I think that it, that's what you can do with something like wallpapers. If they can really, they are, um, they 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 create the room within the room in a way, you know. Right. And, how, and just on a, a technical side, how do you how do you find? I mean, how are you finding these elements? I mean, that uh, that are not. I mean, we're we're in you're in Berlin, uh, but these things that are iconic uh, America from from this from this time and place. Uh, how are you? And do you have a ringer from America that comes in and says, "All right, this is how it should all look"? No, no, no. no I think uh, that's so. That, that's. I mean, there there were certain things uh, in the, in the work progress with Scott Frank, the director and writer. Uh, which were great because he said um, um, he kind of embraced the idea that some strangers like Germans would recreate these, this kind of period in the US. Mm -hmm. He said he kind of li likes the idea of this kind of outsiders doing that mm -hmm. because you have a different kind of view, right? Yeah. Um, then he was, and then we agreed, and what we just said before is that we really don't do a portrait of, of the decade. Mainly, it's be doing something like next to it in this kind of fairy taleish kind of mm. strange uh, aspect, and so we were always saying we can't go too much over the top. Mm -hmm. There is no, there's, we, we, let's just go wild and do whatever. Mm -hmm. we shouldn't mm -hmm. like kind of restrain ourselves. Um, and so he was very supportive. Yeah. And um, I mean, nowadays, I mean, we all grew up uh, with American films, yeah. so I don't know how many. I think maybe I've seen more American interiors on film than ever in Germany. So, right. you know, in a way you are familiar yeah. to that, yeah. even yeah. though you don't know exactly what it means because you've never been there. So it's a strange right. mixture, isn't it? Yeah. You know? and I mean, it's also, it's, this is, I think for me, it's, this is quite special because it, it's, it's, uh, it's like you brought up Mad Men earlier. This isn't New York high-end design yeah. uh, this is this is Kentucky. This is a family home in the suburbs, and it's. Uh, did that allow you to to go wild? In, in well, the thing is, you know, in a way, every time you do a period movie, people oh. talk about how you recreate this period, mm -hmm. but the period itself doesn't mean a thing in a way. If you do a, a contemporary movie, let's say playing in Berlin, you can you know easily show Berlin in. 20 totally different you know, uh, kind of ideas mm -hmm, mm -hmm. wouldn't even look like being on the same planet, uh, even though it's in the same t uh, city at, this, at the same time, which we know. So it's all about the story anyway. You know? it's, it, it, it depends. And as, as you said, Mad Men plays, of course, in the same time or the same period, and there, there are similarities, mm -hmm. but our story is so totally different that you can't really compare that. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't matter. The story is always more important than any formal frame around it. Mm -hmm. You know? That's what I think. Just before we move on from this, I, I, I read somewhere in an interview with you that about, about the Wheatley House that, uh, and you talked about it uh, as a, being the heart. Uh, 
And it was also something that you designed first, is that right? That Pretty much, yeah. Okay, and as a production designer, um, how is it important to uh, where you start with your design? I mean, because... Well, I mean, the process is always pretty fast. So, you, in a way, you start researching, you start, uh, you know, scouting for locations, you start gathering the art department, and people start designing. So, you can never really isolate the mm. process. You know, that's just time-wise, mm. it, it doesn't happen, you know. Um, so, it's more like deciding, say, okay, I want to start uh, with 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 all the the the, the art directors and and the drafts people in the art department. Art department <coughs> sorry, um, with this with the Wheatley House to get a sense for the for the entire show. I think that is the the, the important part of, about it. That through this, the moment you know you crack that nut, mm -hmm. you kind of know uh, much more about anything else. So you know, or I at least mm -hmm. have the feeling that I know everything about the rest of the show hmm. you know alongside it's just that you have to go through this tunnel first mm -hmm. you know the i don't know yeah um maybe because it's it's emotionally important or whatever i don't know it, it's it's the heart it's the heart piece you yeah. have to learn the heart or d d first and then you know everything else simple as that nice and is, is it a con in, in a way there's this this concept of world building uh when it comes to design and storytelling um, and this is, so if this is the center of your story, can you talk about how you build out from here and, and Yeah, the world building in a way, um, is, is in a way it's, it's just, it's always like the other way around, right? Is that you are trying to, I put that down for a moment, um, um, to know everything about the entire world you, you're going to build mm -hmm. before you go into the specific details so that's maybe more related to of course i mean like always it, the research is the first thing mm -hmm. then you find out about it um and learn more and more about it and of course through the the research and the reference material it's not only formal things come come to life but also kind of content things so mm -hmm. you you know you just learn more about this, this kind of world and then you set it up Mm -hmm. And then you kind of build the, you know, almost like frames around it. Mm -hmm. You have to understand the, the, the frame points in this world, in this mm -hmm. case. Um, and then you go into the details. And then maybe parallel to this, um, emotionally and, and style-wise, the Wheatley House still became, or was this the center? Mm -hmm. Specifically in how strong we would go. Mm -hmm. And from there on, we could then again spread out in the world. So it's kind of a... Uh, uh, a work system, like a spiraling system in, 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 in both directions. It establishes your reality, and yeah. then from there you... It's, yeah. I think it, now it sounds much more abstract than it was. And what I always like to do very much is that I kind of start to shift and tilt uh, rooms. I, I'm not very much into, into real architecture, really. Mm -hmm. uh, I rather, you know, transform the rooms in a way... I want them, mm. or I think that the characters, you know, need them, or the camera needs them, or to squeeze in little corners mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, to make uh, the characters more uncomfortable or more, you mm. know, representable, or give other views, and that's why we have these strange uh, shapes always coming up. And also, what is always very important for me is that you have that you never have uh, like a dead end, so you can always travel, always, you can yeah, always circle. Yeah. So it's every you know it's, it's always as open as possible. So yeah. you have always like open doors or yeah. gates. Yeah. Um, so that's a way um, of 
going away from strict architectural rules mm -hmm. into something which is more like film architecture and it's very much camera-driven mm -hmm. and character-driven at the same time. So we make up the space really as we like it. So maybe that's something interesting for the, for the talents to, to realize is that you don't have to think into... You don't have to st stick with the boxes, right. you know, only yeah. because architecture usually have this, this kind of yeah. squarish or whatever yeah. rectangular rooms. You don't need to do that because it's, you're not building a house. You know, it doesn't have to work. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, it's, it only works from the interior anyway. And the funny thing is that you don't really realize it with the camera. Mm. When, I, when we were shooting the Wheatley House exterior in Toronto, at the same time they were designing the stuff here for the yeah. interior in Berlin. So, so the Toronto crew saw the floor plans on our Dropbox from the interior. Uh -huh. And they were standing outside the, this blue house, which is tiny, right? Yeah. Uh, and I said, how the hell could that be behind that, that, that facade? Uh -huh. And I said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. You mm -hmm. know? We only took over the, the, the entrance door and the windows, yeah. which is almost the same measurements. And yeah. behind everything behind it is just the way we want it. Just the way you want it. And it's also, yeah, it's also interesting when, you, when you're not uh, confined by you know, these rules that you think you, you know, that you are in designing but also that you know, going from this you know, small exterior view of the house to something that is so large also just oh, yeah, plays yeah, to mean, the characters. It's, yeah, it's a bit larger. I mean, of course, it's, you know, something like you know, if you build something on stage, you usually like to extend it a little bit so you have more space for the camera, you yeah. know, or you open up the, the, the rooms for, 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 for the camera to, to travel through, yeah. or you have these kind of wide walls. You, know, you can take away, but here we didn't need them, for example, because the, it was also open that they could use it like a, yeah, like a studio. Well, you could tell, you could really yeah. tell how much the camera appreciated yeah. sets because, I mean, after like the reset when Beth does the the place for herself, you know, and puts up her own, uh, puts her own uh, stamp onto the onto the Wheatley House, onto her own home now. You see this, this, the camera just yeah. loving it, just you know, going through, traveling through. Yeah, I, I totally agree. With it. And I believe that this is one, one of the reasons why the, the response was so strong. Mm. Because here we were really... Um, the director, the DOP, and, 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 and the, set, the set design, they were kind of working together. They were always selling every kind of mm. little crazy idea they would love to use that and they would love to show mm. uh, the rooms and also that's what I said before about the characters, main, the main character Beth is so much in the center of it that, that the camera also likes to follow her mm -hmm. or behind her or, or, or through her eyes and really entering the room and kind of digging it in so yeah. it's and it's not because of of showing off and showing like every sm the, the smallest detail yeah, of it yeah. it doesn't matter yeah. it's just her you know, inhaling and, and entering and discovering the world, and they are, they are yeah. doing that uh, by you know, using filmmaking tools. From smush effects to marshmallow sensations, the art of filmmaking presents us with a new language of feeling. Yet behind the scenes, good collaborators are often what can turn the challenges of filmmaking into pure creative joy. Collaboration is also key to Berlinale talents. Each year, 13 fields of work come together to exchange and learn from one another in what can be described as a living production table in Berlin. Find out more about applying to the upcoming edition on berlinale-talents.de. 
If you want to hear more from a range of fascinating filmmakers we've had the chance to talk to over the years, subscribe to our channel and visit our website where you can find today's talks in full. This podcast is brought to you in cooperation with Goethe Institute. It is produced by 4000 Hertz. Our editor is Vincent Forster. Music is by Rutger Reiners. Project coordination, Rabea Bockholt. Project management, Christine Trostrum and Florian Weghorn. And it was presented by me, Anna Serene. Thank you for listening.